Hey everyone, welcome to our online Crossview Church service. Uh, my name is Kale. I'm the Director of Student Ministry here at Crossview, and I'd love to give you just a few announcements of things coming up. First off, uh, this coming Sunday, which if whether you're watching it, you might be watching this today, it might be today, uh, is when we are going to be um, donating our outreach towards the school district. Specifically, we're going to be giving towards our teachers in the school district. So anything that is going to be donated specifically to the Mercy Fund uh, will be given to our teachers as well as some of the food service staff because one, the teachers are going into a pretty tough year. Like it's going to be pretty crazy, uh, chaotic. And then two, our food, our food service staff at, the, at Lincoln and through our school district have been giving to us all summer and working with us. So we would just love to bless them as kind of a response as the church. And so, uh, any, like I said, anything that's donated specifically to the Mercy Fund, which you can find on our website, just go to the Give tab uh, and you can select specifically Mercy Fund. Anything between Sunday and next week, Saturday, um, given to the Mercy Fund will be given to the school district, these teachers and food service staff. Starting next week, that is Sunday the 23rd, we'll be, give, we'll be donating again to the Mercy Fund and anything given to there will be going towards First Choice Pregnancy Resource Center. Um, You can learn more about First Choice by going to our homepage. On the front page, you'll be able to learn more about their vision, but you'll also see a wish list of things that they need as an organization. And so if you plan to come and be with us in person next week, uh, take a look at that wish list and see if you can grab any of that stuff for them. Uh, We would love to bless that organization. The second announcement I have for you is specifically regarding Apex, our teenagers' uh, ministry. So this week, uh, Wednesday the 19th, I'm going to be taking uh, several of our teenagers down to Devil's Lake for a day of hiking and swimming at the state park. And so... If you are interested, or if a teenager of yours is interested, uh, who's going into sixth grade all the way through 12th grade, um, if they're interested in going and swimming and hiking with us and interested in a ride, please have them register by uh, Sunday the 16th. That might be today if you're watching it on a Sunday. Um, And so make sure you have them register uh, soon. Uh, I need to know how many students are coming so that I can arrange for rides and arrange for seats in a car. Um, If your student is planning to ride in a car, we also would ask that they bring a mask uh, for the entirety of the car ride. Um, It won't be required once we get to Devil's Lake State Park, but just while we're all in in a van together. The last announcement I have for you uh, is actually just a reminder. So each week, uh, we, will have, we have a prayer meeting on Facebook. It's Facebook Live. And you can join in with us by tuning in on a Tuesday at 7 p.m. Uh, we would love to have you there. We'd love to field your requests and be able to pray with you um, on Tuesday. So come join us. But for now, let's move into a time of worship. We are so glad to have you with us today. And we're so excited to sing the praises of our King, Jesus. So we're inviting you to join your hearts with ours now, singing Exalted Over All. One, two, three, four. Set your heart upon the cross We'll never know the sacrifice you made 
For all our sin and all our shame You took the nails and took our place No one else could do what you have done One name, one name is higher One name is stronger Than any grave, than any throne Christ exalted over all From the grave where death would die
trembles at his voice and trembles at his voice how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and all will see how great how great is our God you today. We bring these praises to you, wanting you to be honored and lifted up above all else in our lives. God, we come today so grateful for all that we have in you, for the love and grace and mercy that we know 
because of you. God, we come so thankful for a savior like our King, Jesus. And we come asking that you would help us by your spirit to live more moment by moment, day after day, for the glory of our King, Jesus. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So my wife and I are what you would call movie people. And one particular set of movies that we've been able to bond over are called Marvel movies. And so if you're unfamiliar with that term, uh, they're basically comic book movies, okay? So there's something about the good versus evil superhero aspect of it that we just really like. But as a couple weeks ago, we were watching this movie called Thor Ragnarok, I noticed something uh, interesting about comic book movies, mainly that the plots are all the same. <laughs> so, like, think about it for a second. You always have, in the beginning, there's this hero, and then there's this villain who comes in to take over the world or something like that. And so the hero goes to fight them um, and are quickly overpowered by the villain because they're so powerful. And so the hero is defeated and they, like, retreat with their tails between their legs and they go. And as the plot of the movie progresses, eventually, this hero will do something heroic and they'll realize that the true power was inside of them all along, or something cheesy like that, right? And so they'll return back to the villain, they'll destroy the villain, kiss the girl, and roll the credits. Come on now. That's like basically every comic book movie, basically every action movie you've ever seen before, right? Uh, and in a way, this movie is not necessarily different in that way, um, but there is something that happens towards the end of the movie that I thought stuck out to me, that was pretty, um, pretty special. And so special. By the way, spoiler alert, like if you wanted to see this movie, I'm about to tell you the ending. Um, but at the very end of this movie, we have our king named Thor, our hero of the movie. And he ultimately learns that he cannot overcome the villain, which represents death itself in the movie. And he learns that he's going to have to sacrifice something very near and dear to him. So as a last-ditch effort to save his people, he gathers them all onto a large spaceship. Uh, it's a small planet, but they're all on this one large spaceship, and they watch as the king allows the entire planet to be destroyed, blown to smithereens. Everything they've known, every sense of security and comfort that they've ever had has been taken away from them. And even though it does destroy the evil, you still get to see the pain and the sadness on the faces of these civilians. You see this loss as they grieve of losing what, everything that was comfortable to them. And it's just in this moment when we as the audience start to believe that maybe the hero has actually lost more than he's gained, that the person next to him, the friend, says, you have saved us from extinction. Because Asgard is not a place it's a people. The king smiles. And in the following scene, you get to see all of the people of this planet. They bow down before their king and they present him with the new throne. And as he goes and takes his place on the throne, everyone stands behind them as if to symbolize that they are willing to follow wherever he has to lead. And then the one to his left says this, So, king of Asgard, where to? It's as if he and everyone else are all saying the same thing. Where are you going to lead us? Because we are willing to follow you anywhere, my king. 
And as I watched this movie, I've seen it several times, and the, every time I watch this, I started to fall more in love with this scene because I, I think it shows us what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. It's an image of what it looks like to position ourselves in line with Jesus, willing to follow him wherever he leads, no matter what comfort he's calling us out of. It's the, it's the image of what it looks like to enthrone our king and give him our entire allegiance. It's an image of what it might look like to live in a kingdom that isn't what we expected, isn't necessarily comfortable. It's the image of the kingdom of God. And so as we continue throughout our series uh, entitled, Who We Are, we're going to look together at what it means to be a Christian. We're going to look at the idea of the, and today we're going to look at the idea of the kingdom of God and what it looks like to be followers of the King Jesus, because that is who we are. So here's a question for you. If you could zap back into time uh, and watch any one of Jesus's sermons, what is something that you could pretty much guarantee you would hear him talking about? Well, I would say that whatever we're expecting to hear, it kind of gives us an idea of who we expect Jesus to be or who he is. So for example, like if we view Jesus primarily as a moral teacher, uh, then we're probably going to those stories or sermons expecting to hear something about loving others or maybe even loving our enemies. Or maybe we're, we see Jesus primarily as a interested in justice. And so we could argue, we would probably think like, we're going to see him talking about the poor and the vulnerable populations of his society. Or maybe you view Jesus primarily as a righteous rebel whose job was to come into Israel, flip tables, cause chaos, and denounce the authority figures of the day, primarily the religious elite. And to be honest, uh, you're right. Like Chances are you would find Jesus talking about any one of these three, or maybe even all three of them at once. But these topics are actually all implications of what Jesus' main message was. So what what is this main message? Fortunately for us, Mark summarizes this message pretty well for us in the first chapter of his account of Jesus' life. So we're going to look together um, at that. But what Mark wants to tell us first, before he tells us what Jesus' message is, he wants to tell us who Jesus is. So let's look together at Mark chapter 1. You can uh, turn on your Bibles if they're on your phones, open up a Bible, or even Google these, these verses if you'd like. We're going to look at Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So it starts off this way in the CSB. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. As a voice crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. So John came baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So immediately, what we see is Mark coming out of the gate, not pulling any punches about who he believes Jesus is and what kind of message this is. Because it starts out with this phrase, the beginning of the gospel. In some of your translations, it might say the beginning of the good news, like the one I just read. But it's because this word gospel uh, is rooted from this Greek word euangelion. And uh, it means the same thing. Uh, either way, it's, if it's gospel or good news, they're, they're the same thing. And so uh, the beginning of the good news is how it starts out. But here's where a little bit of historical context might be helpful for us. 
Because early Roman citizens would have actually already been pretty familiar with this phrase, but not necessarily with a religious connotation to it. They would have thought of it as a political proclamation. See, in this time, uh, in ancient Roman Empire, um, this is how kings would announce their inauguration, how they're taking over a population with the good news. So there's this Roman inscription, you can Google it, you can find it right now if you want, um, of this guy, Caesar Augustus. And it's written around the same time as when Mark's gospel of Jesus' life was written. And it starts out like this. It starts out by saying, the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. And then it proceeds to tell us about the birth and the coronation of the ancient emperor. So this phrase already held a political weight to it, to those who read it. And to the readers of this count, they would have already formed some form of expectation of what this message is going to be. It's going to be an announcement of a king. But what Mark is doing here is kind of Sticking it to the man, if you think about it. Because what he's doing is he's saying like, you think, Caesar, you think this is good news? I'm going to show you what's real good news. Not some false good news of some self-proclaimed hack like you. (laughs) Kind of a bold statement, right? Like, that's what Mark's doing in just these few words. It's just we have to look at the historical context to see it. But he continues on and he describes Jesus in a specific way. He describes him as the Christ. Now, I don't necessarily know what you think about this word or how you feel about it, like, but it's actually not a name. Like, it's not like Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph Christ, right? Like, and I think we know that. We knew that intrinsically. But like, if it's not a name, then like, what is it? Well, it's actually a title. It comes from this Greek word, Christos, which means anointed one, or maybe more bluntly put, a uh, guy who's had oil dumped on his head. <laughs> Now, that might sound weird, sounds strange to us, uh, but that's because it's a callback to our Old Testament, to our, the Hebrew Bible. And it's these stories of kings being anointed with oil uh, as a symbol before they become king. It's an inauguration symbol. But more specifically, uh, in the Old Testament, are these prophecies of a human king, the Messiah, or the anointed one. And it's, it's this idea that he would one day come and rule over Israel, this human king would rule Israel and reconcile the nation back to God, who they call Yahweh. So if you're tracking along here, I know I just taught you two Greek words and a whole bunch of history, but if you're tracking along so far, Mark is doing a couple things. He's he's claiming that he is the good news of a prophesied king named Jesus who's about to come and claim his throne, his place of authority. But hold on to your seats because Mark is about to step it up another notch. Because what he does next is not only does he next call him the son of God, which is an astonishingly bold title, basically putting Jesus on equal footing with God, the father, but he goes on to make the ultimate claim. Because in the next line, what he does is he quotes from Isaiah's prophetic passage in Isaiah 40. And he talks about this voice in the wilderness that's going to lead the way before Yahweh the Lord. Um, And he goes on to then claim that John the Baptist is that voice in the wilderness. In other words, what he's doing is he's claiming Jesus to be Yahweh himself. Like that is bold, right? Right? 
Like, and so what this bold, audacious claim is, is Mark rooting Jesus into the storyline of the entire Old Testament as a fulfillment of the prophets of the whole Hebrew Bible. He is the one who's come to rule and not only be king over Israel, but king over the entire universe. Right? Like, like how are you doing right now? <laughs> like, seriously, how are you doing right now? Have you ever thought about Jesus this way? as God king over everything. Because that's what Mark is claiming with just these few words. But now I think we have to think, what would it actually look like if we truly believed that? Like instead of letting Jesus be Lord over our Sundays, what if we let him be Lord over our entire weeks? What if Jesus, instead of being king over my spiritual beliefs, He'd also be king over my political beliefs, my opinions, my marriage, my family, my job, my king over my entire universe. Like seriously, if we're being honest with ourselves, what might that actually look like? Mark goes on to tell two more stories about Jesus. He tells the stories about his testing in the wilderness and the story of his baptism. And honestly, both of these are stories are remarkable. You should totally go look them up. They're beautiful uh, and they deserve full sermons to them. But for now, with the time we have, we're going to move on to verse 14. Uh, because in these next words are where John, I'm sorry, where Mark is going to give us exactly the message that Jesus came to preach. So look again at me, with me, uh, at Mark 1, verse 14. He says it this way. After John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is come near. Repent and believe this good news. And so what Mark is doing right now is he's summarizing the entirety of Jesus's message, sandwiched between these good newses, or in some of your translations, it might say gospel, but remember, same thing. Mark, he writes that Jesus is going around announcing the good news, and immediately we get quotations from Jesus, hearing his words exactly, saying that the time of, of the kingdom of God is coming. Pay attention, turn around, turn back towards God and believe the good news that I am preaching. My paraphrase, of course. And so what he's doing, Mark is summarizing all of Jesus' teachings into this one sentence about the kingdom and its coming arrival. And for good reason. Because though, though Mark's gospel, his account of Jesus' life, uh, is the shortest among the, the uh, gospel accounts of Jesus, he'll bring up this idea of the kingdom of God 16 times. There's only 16 chapters. (laughs) Luke, he'll bring it up 39 times. And Matthew, he'll bring up the kingdom. Sometimes he'll substitute out kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. Uh, They're the same thing. It's kind of like saying, here's a message from the White House or a message from the president. Same idea. But he'll bring up the kingdom 49 times. That's nearly twice per page if you're taking an average. So if you were to zap back in time and hear any one of Jesus' sermons, what could you pretty much expect to hear? Well, you pretty much could guarantee that you'd be hearing about the kingdom. So now as you read uh, in your Bibles, if you go back and look at the crucifixion accounts, the the death um, on the cross account of Jesus, I want you to try to take a pen and paper and note all the times that the writer chose to include kingly details. Like, here's a couple examples. So for one, uh, 
Jesus, before he's arrested, he's anointed over his head with oils by one of his followers. Remember that word Christos, Christ? It means the anointed one. It's the idea of right before coronation to take over rule as king. There it is. Another one is when he is arrested by the guards. He is given, uh, the guards actually put him in a purple robe. They bow down before him and call him king and, and all these things. And keep in mind, they're actually mocking him. They're making fun of him in these moments. Like they're not doing this to honor him. They're actually mocking him uh, and laughing at him, spitting on him. But they give him this robe and they give him a crown of thorns. And in the next scene, we see him as he's exalted up onto a high hill, not on a throne, but onto a cross. And above his head is a plaque that says, here is Jesus, King of the Jews. And we see in this moment, precisely in this paradoxical moment when everyone else is mocking Jesus, they're laughing at him and spitting on him. It's in this exact moment that he is doing exactly what he was claiming to be doing throughout his entire ministry. He's making the kingdom of God available to all. Hebrews chapter 1, the author, he says it this way. He says, after making the purification for sins, his sacrifice on the cross, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, he took his seat as king over all. And this is good news, you guys. Because we have a God king who has defeated death with a cross and now is Lord over everything. Amen. So why is this important to us, you might ask? Like you might say like, okay, sweet, Kale. Like you just gave us a theology lesson and now we see that Jesus is depicted as a king. But uh, if we're being honest, how does that actually help us? Like what does that do for me? To which I respond, it actually could change everything. It has the potential to change everything. Because sometimes, even though we might not want to say it this way, The thought of Jesus being Lord over our lives and everything in it sometimes sounds like a burden. Like it sounds like it's not actually good news because it sounds like something that we have to do, some more things we have to do, or something to feel guilty about. That is so far from the actual truth. See, Tim Keller, he he writes it uh, this way in his book, aptly titled Jesus the King. Uh, And he says it this way. He says, The gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history. Something that has been done for you that changes your status forever. So right here, you can see the difference between that of Christianity and that of all other religions of the world. The essence of every other religion is advice, but Christianity is news. Other religions say, this is what you have to do in order to earn your way towards God. But the gospel says, this is what has been done in history. This is how Jesus lived and how he died to earn the way to God for you. In other words, Christianity is entirely different. It is good, joyful news. The work has already been done and Jesus proved it with his resurrection. Jesus is king. So Crossview Church, if you forget everything that I've said up to this point, or maybe it just didn't sound that different than what you already believe, please remember these next words. Crossview Church, crown your king constantly. Give allegiance to Jesus regularly. Crown your king constantly. I'm going to borrow some words from a musician named John Lucas and say it this way. Crown him in your mourning. Crown him in your laughter. 
Crown him when all goes dark. Crown him when you bury. Crown him when you marry. Crown him when your faith finds a spark. Crown him for he is worthy. Crown him for he is faithful. And crown him for he is good. So Crossview Church, in every time, in every season, we can crown our king because Jesus' death produces life and now we are made alive by the king who has paid the price. So crown your king constantly. Crown your king constantly. Honestly, this is a hard time for us to be alive. For some, it's even hard for us to go through COVID-19. But just like the kingdom in our, in our opening illustration, the kingdom of God does not confine itself to a building. The church itself is not a building. but We are a people. And we will take any circumstance possible to crown our king constantly, no matter where we are physically or emotionally or even spiritually. We, as Jesus followers, align ourselves with the king, or our throne king. And just like the friend in our opening example who asked Thor, we ask, so king, so Jesus, where to next? So now I'm going to move into a time uh, of communion to remember exactly what Jesus has done. And at Crossview Church, we practice what we call open communion, which means that uh, you don't have to be a member of Crossview Church to participate in communion with us. All you need to have done is recognize that Jesus is, in fact, Lord over your life, and he is your Savior. And so, parents, you are the spiritual leaders of your household, um, so you get to determine whether or not your children are ready for communion. Uh, and if you don't have the elements yet with you uh, right now, uh, feel free to pause this video. Uh, go grab some juice and, or some bread with it or some crackers and water. Honestly, they're symbols. And so you can go uh, and grab anything. But pause the video right now, go grab some, and then come back. We'll be waiting for you. Communion is our chance to remember the good news that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the good news of our king who is seated at the right hand of God. So honestly, I don't, I don't know how this is going to affect you. Maybe this has all been pretty abstract for you uh, and maybe you feel a little confused at this point. Or maybe you feel like you're not confused enough. Maybe you need a cup of coffee and a Bible in hand so you can just sit down and take time with Jesus himself and look at these, at these passages. But I have the full conviction that this message, this idea has the chance to change everything for you. It has the, cha- has the chance to change how you live your entire life. And so as we move into communion, um, I want you to consider what Jesus has done for you and what it might look like to give you allegiance to, and to crown your king constantly in every area of your life. And then remember why this is in fact good news. And so before, I know you just got your elements, but before we take them, I just want to give you a couple examples, okay? Because maybe you don't feel like you're in control of something in your life and that sometimes will show up in different ways, whether it's anger 
or sadness or anxiety. And you realize now, you're starting to realize that it is in fact good news that Jesus is king over everything because you realize that you don't need to be in control. And so to crown your king constantly would be to make him lord over your life by continually releasing control to Jesus, by releasing anxiety, releasing anger to Jesus. This is our great and powerful king. Or maybe you feel like you live in constant anxiety because of the way that others think about you. Honestly, if I'm being real here, this is something I struggle with sometimes. Maybe we fear others because we place so much significance on their opinions. But now, we're realizing, I'm realizing that God is a glorious king. And his opinion is the only thing that matters. And so to crown our king constantly is to stop fearing others. And to crown him and realize that his opinion matters most. Crown your king constantly. Or maybe you try to fill up your life with things that are good or things that you just perceive as good in the moment but are actually killing you spiritually. Maybe it's an addiction. But now to crown your king constantly is to realize that he is a good king and realize that we will never be able to find true joy in anything else other than him. And to crown your king constantly would be to realize that we count Everything is valueless in comparison to our good king. So we crown our king constantly. Or lastly, maybe you consistently spend time trying to do enough or be enough or to do things the right way because you feel the need to prove yourself, whether it be to God or to people. And it debilitates you because you feel like you can never be enough. You may have unintentionally believed a false gospel that you need to work hard to earn your father's love. And so you end up always feeling guilty. But you have a gracious king. So to crown your king constantly would be to remember that the gospel is first and foremost news. That Jesus is already king and he's already defeated death on your behalf, giving you access to God the Father. And so you don't have to be good enough. Jesus already is. So crown your king constantly and give your allegiance to him. These are just a few examples. And of course, it's not all inclusive. But as we begin or as we take the bread and the cup together in remembrance of Jesus, I want you to consider what it would actually look like to crown your king constantly and allow him to take the lead. Let's go to the bread and the cup together. So the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's drink the cup together. Let's pray. God, we recognize the authority that you, the authority that you hold. You are king and you are Lord 
God, be with us this week as we go about our daily tasks and remind us of your good news and your kingship and convince us how good this news actually is. And remind us daily to pick up our crosses and follow you, our King. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Hear these words of benediction. They come from Romans 8.38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ, the Anointed One, the King, Jesus our Lord. You guys have a great week.